Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 15, Episode 18. John Hindov with you live on a beautiful early spring evening from Hindov Towers. Sun just beginning to cast that lovely golden hour of light across the weir pool of the middle men outside the back door. I'm looking out across the... down towards the... Uh, sailing lake at the moment across the meadow and it is looking absolutely stunning at the moment a few uh, Canada geese and uh, a couple of other varieties of geese that I encountered yesterday on my walk and some swans and some grebes and some other diving birds had a long walk round the lake yesterday and fired up my camera for the first time in a long while uh, we are as I said, live to the world for the next two hours or thereabouts. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. And I also can't see the uh, sun as it begins to set because uh, the studio here has a northeast-facing window, uh, which is lovely when you're uh, waking up uh, and doing those very early hours of uh, <laughs> Nürburgring 24 hours or something like that. Um, but not so good for you at this time of night. And definitely no uh, waterfowl of any sort here. Uh, but I have, uh, in the time I've been sitting here while we've been doing our rehearsals, uh, seen a magpie, uh, a ringtail parrot, a ringneck parakeet, sorry. Really? Uh, yes, lots of them around. Really? And uh, a dove. Wow, ringneck parakeet. With you down in London. All right, up in London. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we'll be joined by Nick Damon, as uh, we so often are. We might be joined by Shay Adam, yep. um, if she hasn't drowned. Uh, no, no, that, she, she came back she, from that. She, she did come back from the rafting. I've yep. not heard anything from Shay since she went rafting. Um, um, it, it turned into a bit more of a trek than she was expecting. They were into the wind and very little current, so there was it was five hours of... of um, it was five hours of paddling. Yeah. Uh, Grey lag goose was the other goose I couldn't remember from yesterday. She needed to sail and then she could have tacked backwards and forwards across the... Uh, Absolutely. Whatever it was. Weir, possibly. Uh, I think some kind of rapids that they were going down, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, shall we do a bit of... Uh, Hang on, we? I haven't finished uh, my monologue yet. All right, go on then. Remember a couple of weeks ago we did uh, racing drivers painting fences? No, I don't remember that at all, but if you say so... Okay. Uh... Well, I thought I'd found something to rival this, okay. um, but I accidentally answered uh, this uh, Twitter thread, um, and basically all I need to say now is, Jeremy Shaw, uh, you've got me to thank for not poisoning one of your drivers. Right, okay. Ah. 
Because Aaron Tiedis didn't know you couldn't eat the leaves of rhubarb. Oh, no, you can't eat the rhubarb. You can't. No, absolutely not. Uh, Scott Lee is uh, submitting his apologies for absence to at Spec Your Team at this evening, which is how you get in touch with us here on Midweek Motorsport. The celebrating uh, Scott is celebrating his daughter's 12th birthday. Looking forward to the podcast while working in the morning. Hello to Mike Smith who's one of a number of people over the last couple of weeks who have picked up the story of the llamas potentially holding the key to treating the coronavirus COVID-19. Uh, hello to Sarah Rigby, who's listening in tonight to the Colonel. No AFAs tonight, ready for the best two hours of the week and looking forward to everyone's view on Pagano Gate. Must be missing motorsports. He said, I intention- unintentionally walked the Nordschleife on a 14-mile walk today. It's very funny. He's traced it around Crawley and Manor Royal and Three Bridges and Langley Green, which I used to live down there, so I know exactly where uh, you are, but it's very funny. Uh, that's well done. In fact, I'm going to retweet that right now. Well done, the Colonel. Uh, I'd expect your tainment if you want to get in touch. Um, Brody says no AFAs tonight. Tentatively penciling in new dates on the wall planner. No calendar news. Is good calendar news. Uh, we will have calendar news and it is good calendar news is it yeah. alright Neil Bourne is listening tonight Alexander Orkin EFA this evening family calls fabulous show uh, have a fabulous show I look forward to the podcast with anticipation sausage stew and chips you need to do the on patient patient like that years and years ago uh, someone set up a uh, Twitter account in the name of Dr. Frank Enferta right. and tweeted Antisif and then tweeted nothing else for three years and then put Patron Excellent. and there's been nothing else on the account since. Excellent, very good. The Angry Pothole 20-year wedding anniversary tonight uh, and so AFAs, their daughter have turned the dining room into Nando's. Looking forward to people's take on Lando Indy and the fallout great race from the Nordschleifer at the weekend. Stephen Gardner tuning in, having a late lunch of leftover lasagna, no work conference call interfering this week, masking up the 2016 Ford GT LM number 68, uh, adding the red paint and the blue to the white Everyone hopes everyone's well this week. Thank you, Stephen. That's coming along very nicely, that Ford GT. Kevin Payne, looking forward to the short night of a stressful couple of days with the vet sorting out one of our cats who was attacked by another one from the neighbourhoods. Witnessed it horrible, but hopefully on the home straight now. Oh, Kevin, sorry to hear that. Neil Gardner is doing a bit of uh, two-fingered Steve McQueen at the moment. He's been prolific uh, the last few weeks, Kevin. Uh, sorry, Neil, uh, and turned out some beautiful stuff. The minimalist Mazda 787B in the renowned colours was brilliant. Loved that today uh, at NG Auto Art. If you haven't seen uh, Neil's work, it's fantastic. Spooner in orange, looking forward to RC Racing's opinion on the Biosphere Racing uh, in tonight's show. I'm just left scratching my head as to why they cancelled Montreal. Is is there a sarcasm emoji? I'm not sure. Oliver Giles passed the instructor training course at the weekend and listening to Midweek Motorsport while continuing studies. Well done, Oliver. Excellent stuff. No AFAs from Jonathan Main. Jill building a Jaguar Racing I-Pace as an airfix kit. Uh, no AFAs for Carol Brink either or for Kevin 
36 degrees Fahrenheit, warmer in the fields where Kevin is working, uh, listening live near Thermal. Current temperature there, well under, well, well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Chris Suku, not the oven. Ah, the humanity. Uh, yes, the oven's gone at Alexander Orkman's house. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, good luck to you guys. Uh, Moni, Moni is listening in. Hello, Monica. Defending my portfolio with her PhD committee. Hopefully, I'll get the go-ahead to move to dissertation stage. Well done for getting that far. Yoda's uncle, been having connections issues since last week. I've got everything X'd, including my eyes. That's everything crossed, that is. That uh, the new phone line run by BT has cured it. Let us know, Yoda. Uh, no AFAs, right turn lover, despite being caught out how late it gets dark so early in the year. Yes, it's still March. No, it's not. No. But I know what you mean. Uh, Kevin Payne says, yes, it's March the 66th, isn't it, at the moment? <laughs> That's fantastic. Daniel Leslip, listening for the first time in weeks, setting up a new business while searching for new gigs. Celebrating with some homemade table red now that we've got a couple of things sorted out. Well done, Danny. Uh, first world problem, says Alex, for his, uh, for his oven. Uh, Chris Ring has no AFA. Sourdough cheese and plum chutney. Very nice. Uh, it was Persian chicken with homemade flatbreads tonight. Slow pass, no AFAs tonight. Listening live on a trail bike ride where I work for the grades to post. Have the top story, and we'll have some more AFAs or not in a moment or two's time. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And the top story tonight is I have got some more uh, bits. We've got a huge, huge audience tonight. Yes. We'll come back to them maybe in half an hour or so. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to start with our top story tonight, which mm-hmm. uh, comes from a statement. Oh, first of all, let's say hello to Nick Damon. Hello, Nick Damon. Hello, Nick Damon. Hello, Kim. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Uh, our top story is a joint statement from the FIA. Uh, and who? And the World Rally Championship. Ah, yes. Uh, who have... <laughs> <laughs> Do that again. I'm from the World Rally Championship, Nick. From the World Rally Championship. Right. Who've uh, been addressing uh, some concerns people might have had about their calendar mm. uh, in the wake of uh, the cancellation of uh, the Rally Portugal, which was supposed to be this month, and the postponement of uh, rallies in Argentina and Italy. Mm-hmm. Now, the next scheduled round of the World Rally Championship is the Safari Rally in Kenya, which is in July. Uh, and the Kenyan government is going to provide an update on the 15th of May uh, as to whether that is going to go ahead. Uh, at the moment, Kenya has uh, closed its borders, um, but that's only temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15th of May is an important date because that is the date that... Uh, they have to uh, confirm whether or not they're going to cancel the shipping to Kenya. Yes, good point. Uh, for um, it's not the day that the stuff gets shipped; it's just the day, the last date that they can cancel uh, yeah, the shipping. Understood. Uh, after that is Rally Finland, uh, which is supposed to be uh, the sixth to the ninth of August. They're going to evaluate whether that can go ahead uh, at the start of June, and 
under consideration of postponement to September or October. Now, what's the difference between August in Finland and October in Finland? Probably about 20 degrees, I would have thought. And, and all the light. And all the light, yes. Uh, because there'll be uh, a, a massive six hours less daylight in October than there is in August on each day. So that's 18 hours across the duration of the rally. Uh, New Zealand rally, that's going to be assessed at uh, the end of May as well. Currently, New Zealand uh, have closed their borders to everyone, although there is uh, a plan for them to allow uh, Australians in at the some Trans-Tasman point. The Trans-Tasman something or other it's yes, called, isn't it? Trans-Tasman Treaty. Treaty, there you go. Lovely bit of alliteration there. The Triple T. Mm. If uh, if Rally New Zealand goes ahead uh, while the boards are still closed, I still predict that Hayden Patton won't win. <laughs> he has a way of not winning sometimes, doesn't he? Uh, and Rally Turkey, which is due to be the fourth week of September. Uh, Turkey currently only has lockdown in the cities, so uh, running a rally uh, would be unaffected there. Uh, the final three uh, rounds of the World Rally Championship are in Germany, uh, in mid-October, uh, the UK uh, the final weekend of October, and Japan the third weekend of November. Hmm. I, I, I applaud anybody who is putting dates in diaries. And uh, I know rallying's not your thing, Nick, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. I, I applaud... It's <laughs> not a putting dates in diaries, it's a keeping dates in diaries. Right, well, and not y- crossing them out yet. Yes, yeah, understood. Um... I, I applaud that, but ultimately, all we're hearing at the moment is everything's being deferred, Nick. Uh, President Macron in France uh, delaying any major changes until sometime in uh, possibly in July, and then not even making the decision about what's happening until June, and things are getting pushed further and further back. And, and we've said plenty of times on here, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, it, it's, as I say, lovely to think that people are doing this and, and, and getting something to aim for. But we're shooting at a moving target at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was having a conversation with, um, with Ash, my stepson earlier. And the thing to think about it is, you know, eight weeks ago, the world as it looks now wouldn't have been possible for us. And no one knows what it's going to look like in eight, eight weeks from now. It could be fantastic. It could be, you know, best case scenario is great. Worst case scenario is a disaster. But we have no idea which way it's going to go. You know, certain, you know, everyone's so desperate to get things on. Yeah, they, they also need to kind of think about whether that actually is a sensible thing to do. Um, but, you know, I think it's fair enough to issue an update, fair enough to use a big pencil and, and put stuff in. But, you know, it's, it's going to be, we're not going to know. And, and things will probably sneak up and surprise us when they happen. And hopefully, you know, by the time we get towards the back end of the season, we're getting a lot of things away. But there's still be a lot of things that aren't going to happen in October and aren't going to happen in November. But, you know, hopefully more stuff happens and doesn't happen. Tim, serious question. You're our, you know, you're our UK telly expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can have a chat with Dex uh, and, and share later on about the US side of things. But ultimately, um, where is all this sport going to fit, fit? Because there just isn't enough room to put it all every weekend. There isn't already to put all the sport that happens, particularly when 
there's a football season and, and, and. If everything does restart, they're going to be squeezing stuff in and every day and night of the week, you're going to have several different events, aren't you? If you spend time looking at the schedules of any of the sports channels, you'll see there's an awful lot of filler on them. Now? No, even during normal times. Okay. You'll probably see a channel that's running 24 hours a day all week uh, so that's 168 hours, we'll have maybe 15 to 20 hours of actual live sport on it. Mm. Yeah, but so therefore it's going to need the, the live sports to be a little bit more flexible, not all try and be at, you know, for example, Correct. Saturday at 3 o'clock Correct. or Sunday at 3 o'clock. So, you know, the, you know, the, the games that run all the time, like basketball and, and baseball, obviously, if they get going, they're, they're, they're no problem in the states because it's, it's Sunday is NASCAR day. Sunday is NFL day. Sunday is Grand Prix day. Uh, and at the time, to, don't uh, overlap too much. Come on to that later uh, when Shay is with us. Well, um, the thing is, I, guys, I'm particularly keen to see uh, basketball with social distancing. What from the players? <laughs> yes, I want well, them all to be two meters anyway. apart. That's more like netball at that point, isn't it? You've got to be three feet apart in net- netball. Yeah, do you? That's the yeah. Well, no, because no, the big tall, the big no, tall ladies down no, right over be, top you, of the bit. They kind of lean, lean over the smaller yes, lady. Yeah, yeah, you've got you, you've got to be a certain amount of weight. It's, when it's I think netball is the most passive aggressive sport in the world. Netball is one of the most technical sports you can ever play. I play basketball oh, God, yeah, and really netball, hard. and netball is for, by far the hardest uh, sport. By far the harder of the two. Let's move on to Formula One. Yeah. That, that seemed to be a bit of a, a capped uh, hooray there, Nick. Yes, we'll I, come I, on to I, that I shortly. Got, I got to a certain point, gave myself some more, then it was taken back off me again. From you, yes. Uh, <laughs> Formula One has uh, been talking more about how it plans to resume, and uh, they're talking about uh, trying to operate in a bubble. Yes, everyone's going to have their own little hermetically sealed... Each team is going to be hermetically sealed no. from each other as well. Uh, not... Yeah, they are. They are going to try and reduce the amount of um, interaction between the teams. So yeah, you will have uh, ten, you know, tented areas for the teams, and another tented area for Pirelli. And this is why I still don't understand why they want to get the F two and F three off at the same time as the Grand Prix. But never mind. Uh, and they were trying. They're going to try and reduce the uh, intermingling outside of teams. They've also said. So what about either t- side the garage though? So are they going to split the garages up as well? Well, you can, there's, there's no, no issue getting to, yeah, two metres apart isn't, isn't, isn't much of an issue in separate garages. Okay. Well, it obviously depends. Certainly the wing pits would be no issue at all. Mm. Wing pits, you're about five metres apart. <laughs> Remember that all Formula One uh, circuits were built so that uh, 13 teams could have three garages each and there'd be garages left over. So um, now that there are fewer teams, you can easily easily put some gaps in between garages. But my point is, are you going to have, uh, how many people are you going to have running two cars? And are you going to have dedicated people for each car and not cross oh, no, over the line? No, 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 no. If you're in the same team, it's like being in the same family. It's total intermixing between, okay. the, between the families. Right, yes. But okay. you can't, but you, yeah, you can't, even Red Bull wouldn't be allowed to mix with um, Alpha Tourley. Okay, right. If you say so. I do say so. All right. <laughs> and, and a lot of people will still be working from other places and a lot of people won't be there and what's, hap- and what's happening with 
things like catering and PR and media and things hey, like oh, that. No, they have, they have to go to the uh, supermarket and buy some sandwiches on the way to the circuit. And they were bussing. Um, they were bussing food in. You know, someone will supply food and it'll be delivered Cent- in. On central the catering day. in each of the hematically sealed units. Uh, no, the, the, the food will be delivered. Uh, yeah, yeah, and. There won't be much press. There might be no press. I mean, there'll be lots of video conference meetings. I mean, I'm sure all the, all the drivers will be expected to do a VC after with with the general press after every session. But um, the likelihood of, of 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 Ted Kravitz or your, your whoever your pit person is walking up and down the pit lane is, I would think, be very very low. So do you not think they'll even have a unilateral crew, which was the word I was looking for a couple of weeks ago? Well, yes, I think they, they will. will but, yes, but they will. But what that unilateral crew will do. Um, unilateral for those who don't know telly terms that means effectively yes, like a world got, feed for got the whole FOM crew the FOM crew exists you've got um, True. Uh, Will Buxton and the, the two uh, this is not, I'm, not trying to be, I'm not trying to be dismissive here but the, uh, yeah Rosanna thank you very much and the lady they started using at um, the test they've got three um, pit lane people they've got but I don't think they'll be walking up doing live interviews I think they'll only do stuff post arrange where they can stay a distance away from them with, so a, look with a mic and a long stick and I, I well, think yeah. only one of them will be at each race. Yeah, and they, and what they will do is they 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 yeah you won't do anything while the engines are running. There won't, there won't be a grid war, for example. Right. And will the commentators be on site? No. Well, Alex Jakes and um, the form people will. Yes. But uh, not necessarily. Alex Jakes on. quite often works at Biggin Hill. Hmm. Does he? Yeah. I, I thought he. I thought he was actually going to travel this time. Um, well, no, that is of course not necessary in F1 because, as we know, John, having worked in F1 booth, they can't see the track anyway, so they could be anywhere. Well, and that that is actually my point. And what have Nick? What have we found out recently, which we knew anyway, that actually doing full remotes, full remis, as they say it in the states, um, and and doing things off tube, so just from pictures. All right, it's turning the clock back, but. You know, there was a long, t- for a very long time, that's how a lot of uh, national broadcasters did it. They didn't send their commentators around the world because the links, the uh, the quality of link for the sound wouldn't have been good enough and they would have, you know, they, would, they potentially yeah. had problems with it. So World Cup 1970, you know, that, that great sound that David Coleman has, but that's because he's on a, a single Telephone phone line. line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the interesting thing is, is that there is the, 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 there is no reason to send your commentators to the events. Um, yes, you need to send your um, yeah, your presenters, and you need to send your pit people. The commentators go just because it's kind of a... Them. I don't think you need to send your uh, presenters. Well, they, they can all yeah. do it from home. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm talking when things are normal again, not 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 now. But, but yeah, the, the, yeah, and and when when we were doing uh, digital plus, we had the pits people were at, were at the event, and John Watson and Ben Edwards who did the the, um, the, the commentary were at uh, Biggin Hill. Mm-hmm. So it was we done that way. Um, and as you know, yeah, Biggin Hill obviously was the centre of form. You know, puts together put, put loads of graphics, you know, chooses the onboards, all that stuff happens happens remotely now. Absolutely. Same, same in IMSA. Uh, all the camera feeds go yeah. back digitally to Charlotte and NASCAR TV. And the network television guys do it from there. Um, we're the only commentators uh, at the track um, for the international feed, bizarrely. Um, but, I, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to happen. And there will be some countries, Nick, that won't be able to send personnel um, to certain parts of Europe or other parts of the world. Even yeah. even on the time scale that we're talking about by the 
end of this season or even the start of next season. I, I think we're looking at a fundamental change of how live sport is covered. I mean, for those who aren't in the UK, look at the debate that's going on at the moment with soccer, with the Premier League in particular, uh, potentially uh, remote cameras that are uh, going to be uh, controlled um, robotically uh, by somebody either on site or but locked in a room or many miles away, much as you would do with drones. Um, commentators don't have to be there. Lockdown stadium, stadia, um, neutral grounds being played, uh, played on, etc., etc. Um, there's no reason to think that that's going to change any time soon. No, I think I, yeah, it's yeah, the infrastructure that's been in place for years already, and the only reason they don't use it is use. the cost. Um, because it's actually cheaper to send people to... Is it? Yes. It's cheaper to send cam- cameramen yes. to a, a Formula One circuit on the other side of the world? Uh, to a football ground on the other side of the country. Right, OK. But Right, OK. For, Formula One is different because, of course, they have special flights and they all take off from South End and come back to Biggin Hill. Yeah, but also, I don't think yeah. they do that anymore, though, do they? Outside of Europe, the, 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 have they still in got Europe, Bernie? Sorry, have they Europe. still got Bernie Air and all the the one forty sixes? The Avro one forty six. I think I remember the one forty six has been retired. I mean, it hasn't been replaced by something else. <laughs> uh, you must have spent many happy an hour on those. Many a Kit Kat, many a Kit Kat and bag crisps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it can be. And I think what will happen is that we will, yeah. We, when everything does get back to normal, which could be three or four years, the, 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 the world, it'll be a very different place. And a lot of people have found they can cover things uh, cost-effectively and cheaply and doing it in a different way. Um, and the technology does exist. And as you rightly say, remote cameras, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if, you, if the camera is at you know, Villa Park and the remote control person is you know, in London or Sky Central, the delay is two, two thousandths of a second. So it doesn't, it's not even important. If you look at... Um the level of football in the UK below the Premier League, so the Championship, yep. nearly every Championship game is directed from a little box near Heathrow. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw that. Is it um, IMG are doing that? Yes. Yeah. Well, on ESPN right now, Korean baseball live. Via uh, Twitch. Uh, and none of the commentators, obviously, are there. Thank you to Carol Brink, who's uh, just tweeted... Uh, that in. Uh, hello to David Raleigh, by the way, working from home. So listening tonight, Jill's out of bridge. Uh, another week live. Uh, adult beverage in hand. Tea, milk, no sugar. Very good. Seraphina <laughs> Chu uh, was buried in work last week, but listening in. Uh, and sorry, Kevin Payne. Sorry, you said buried in work. Yes. I heard you said buried yes. at work. Well, that's a bit, a, bit, a bit extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Rain line listening in tonight. Monty uh, as well uh, as uh, Patrick Dron. Listening in as well. Keep coming in. Add spectators. Pierre Panigua. I hope I've... Uh, Panagua, possibly. Uh, working from those. home with a fabulous Midweek Motorsport Cup there. And Ooh. Dave Alcock leaving yeah. in as well. Mug as well. And Tom Firth listening in tonight. Uh, let's carry on with some more Formula One news. Well, we've gone so far off track that I'm not sure we finished the story I started on, which is that <laughs> uh, the consequence of the uh, bubbles... Is that bubbles. Uh, you've been saying for decades that Formula One lives in a bubble. That's true. It does. Now it's got. Now it's going to have at least eleven of them, not twelve of the form. They're all going to be West Ham supporters. No. Uh, Paniagua. 
his uh, the, his uh, Pierre's name, Paniagua. Uh, the system means that if someone is diagnosed uh, positive for COVID-19, they don't have to shut the event down. Yes. That, that's the idea, to avoid what happened in Australia, where one person shut the event down, yeah. Uh, one man Why not? Who Why can... would they not have to shut it down, then? What's Let me the read. All right, OK. So that's one right. man who uh, can shut it down is the FIA Medical Commissioner, Gerard Sion. And this oh, is what he had to say. The situation has evolved since Australia. We've provided a rapid response device to confirm the diagnosis, isolate and test people who may have been in contact with positive cases. For me, the Grand Prix would not be cancelled. It's as if you were telling me that the metro is closed in Paris. Hang on, the metro in Paris is closed. It's closed. Although that's because they're on strike, I believe. I'm not overly sure how that actually works, because I don't think that any of the cars get delivered by tube. Yeah, I know what he's saying, though. Uh, what will happen in Austria will be different from what will happen in Germany or Hungary. Well, Why? That's true. Uh, because each country's got different regulations. Yeah, all right. Uh, each of the circuits are different. The hotels are different. Well, that's um, quite an interesting statement you just made there, isn't it? Sorry, say again, Nick? It's quite an interesting statement you just made there, then. Yes. Because Germany isn't on the calendar. Oh, but it's not on the proposed new calendar that uh, we've talked about. No, it isn't. Not officially. Absolutely not. The only things on the proposed new calendar is Red Bull, Red Bull, Silvers and Silvers, and everything else is TBA. Or or still in its original date. So it looks like they are going to go back to Hockenheim. Uh, given the fact that Germany is uh, you know, already easing lockdown and it seems to be going quite well after a few days, and they've already said that they'll be able to start football again in a couple of weeks, that seems like Hockenheim could be quite likely. Singapore would be a completely different uh, organisation again. Uh, the Singapore government could force the entire paddock to be isolated for a fortnight before we go to the track. Yeah, and that's going to be a problem. Because then you, that's, that's too much time in between, in between races if they want to get still get 12 to 14 races in or whatever they're seeing. I mean, Singapore needs to get a go, no go quite soon because they've got to build the whole infrastructure again, which takes a few weeks. Or more, yes. Uh, let's move on. Uh, who's not going to be doing Formula One next season? Hey, who's not going to be doing it? Yes. But, but give me, driver? give me. Which driver's not doing F1 next year? Hmm. Um, what, actually, or something made up by the Italian press? No, this is something that he's come out and said. Okay, don't know. Tell me, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, no, because that's he was thinking about trying to get back in uh, for twenty twenty one. The regulations have changed. The, the likelihood is that outside of of the drivers who are sponsored, uh, sorry, sorry, paid for by sponsors, it's it, it every week we go past without the season getting underway. It makes it more and more likely that next year we'll see a total status quo. Yeah. Because you're a you're, you're yeah you. you yeah, you, how many reasons to, to assess this? B, you don't want to change what is effectively a continuation season when it comes to car development, and we're not going to see enough F2, F3 to get an idea of who's good coming up. So the likelihood is, as long as everyone pays their bills, you'll see the same 20 guys in the same 20 seats, unless Fettel, of course, does decide to go off somewhere else. And but now we're hearing that that Ferrari offered him some more money again for a one-year contract. So. Mm. Uh... One of the reasons he said was uh, because he wanted to go back when the rules change, and obviously the rules change has been put back to 2022. Yes. Uh, what else has he said he's not going to do next year? 
WEC. I'm get, I haven't seen the article, so I'm going to guess. WEC. Paris Dakar. No, he said he would love to go Spend back to money. Dakar and uh, uh, will continue to do Dakar until he wins it and points at Carlos Sainz, who uh, was 57 the last time he won it. And so uh, Fernando has uh, almost two decades before he gets to that level. Uh, no, he said he's not going to do a full season of IndyCar. Right. Okay. Because uh, it's too much commitment, but he will do the Indy 500. Alan Prosser says, don't NASCAR and Supercross already use remote control camera? Catch fence and the camera's in the middle of the hairpins. True enough? Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's lots of wireless cameras. We, we all use wireless cameras, I can tell you. But, uh, and then, uh, in and places as well. Yeah. There's plenty of remote, remote operation. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, the technology has been available for 25 years. I mean, off-site. I mean, that's the, basically once you have fibre between the, the the event and the, the and the main backbone, it can be anywhere in the world. True. Uh, you listen to Midweek Motor Sports Series 15, episode 18, and we're talking F1 with Nick Damon at the moment. Where would you like to go next? Well, we need to talk about cost capping. Yes, we do. Because it's changing again. These these caps are getting tighter and tighter. I'm not sure my they head are. will fit anymore. They're going down a quarter to half an inch every couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so basically the... the, the, the Seven cap and a quarter to me. Yeah. The 175 million cap that was supposed to be coming in uh, next year, and we've, we've said before... Dollars or euros was that, Nick? Dollars, that is. Dollars, dollars sorry. Right. Um, is now... Uh, there's a general agreement needs to go down a bit because of, you know, the general crisis. And obviously, one of the key factors is that they, they, all the teams are going to get a lot, less, a lot less money next year because mm. um, there aren't the races or the, the audiences to generate the revenue. So... Uh, well, more Brown, on that as well. They're going to change how it's dished out as well, apparently. We'll talk about that in yeah. a minute as well. Ross Braun has now said that 175 is almost certainly going to go to 145 million, obviously excluding marketing people, excluding the top couple or three, uh, the drivers and the first two or three employees. Um, so, you and know, now it's and down to 116, isn't it? Did no, 145 know? is next year. And they now want to glide down. To, and the reason they want to glide down, obviously, is because people have, people have jobs and they want to try and make sure these people, no one gets fired. So right, okay. when you take the big teams, you can't just cut the money immediately because they don't want them cutting jobs. They want these people to be able to find other jobs or the teams find other things to do with them. And obviously Ferrari have wafted on about perhaps you're doing, you know, Formula E or whatever it may be. And, and people like Mercedes, I'm sure could reallocate their, if, they were, if the staff wanted to into the, into the general uh, part of Damon Benz itself. Um, it now looks like that it's that 145. Um, Ferrari don't want to reduce it at all, uh, and McLaren and the small teams want to go to 100 million. Um, wow. John, John Top wants to go to 125. Red Bull is saying about 130. Um, and sold know. to the man at the back. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, if it, if it went down In to 130, cap. in a cap, it, yes, it went to 130 um, with all the caveats uh, of the drivers and high-paid employees and everything else and marketing um it means that this is, uh, I, something i read here mercedes has, it estimated its 2019 spend this is the car team only not the engine that was 480 million dollars mm-hmm. and that will go down to about 230 million dollars so their actual spend will reduce by by half if we had a full season their income from sponsorship wouldn't reduce at all, uh, and they would still be getting the two and a half billion dollars worth of free advertising exposure, provided they do well. I and mean, so, people say Mercedes is going to pull out, might not understand the maths involved. Mm. The fact is, in real terms, F1 makes a massive profit. 
Okay. Maybe. So basically, yes, it's going to be 145 million. It'll go down to something else, probably about 130 million, uh, plus bits and bobs. And the idea is it'll become more egalitarian. It should become more egalitarian. It's true. Um, I mean, the, the the ideal thing is it might actually entice some people to join. You might get some new teams. Obviously, 130 million is a huge amount of money, but it's obviously 130 million theoretically makes you competitive rather than no chance at all. It's a good opportunity to make the dishing, the dawling out of money, a bit more fair and equal. <laughs> although, although you know, there will be people, and I can understand this, that will say, well, it's it's. For the most part, it's based on merit. You get paid how many points you scored. There's a baseline. Yeah, for the most part, it's based on how long you've been in the championship. Well, the, the, yeah, yeah, there's the, elements of that. There's three and how different. How Italian you are. There's three different um, parts of how much you get paid. There's there's the historical payments. Uh, then there's a baseline that everybody gets, and then there's a points uh, a. Uh, dollars Success. per point, isn't there? Success. And then, and then there's the Ferrari money. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a. That's the element. The, that's the last time in. that Ferrari got more money for success rather than heritage it was over a decade ago. Yeah, no, I believe that. I believe that. But there'll be a hell of a lot more. Uh, a hell of a lot and this less. This team that often finishes second in the world championship. But there'll be a hell of a lot. Yes, but with a huge uh, deficit to the team that's been winning in terms of the points. Uh, th- there'll be Nick. There'll be a hell of a lot less. In terms of telly money, um, if the season is reduced and if Form uh, and Liberty have to pile back a whole load of money and actually pay TV companies back for the money they've already got, well, that's why yeah, that's why they are um, the arguments about the cost cap are not as vehement as they would be for next year, and, and reducing it a bit is seen as quite a good idea. Um, more for survival because there is less money coming in. I mean, there is less going out because they don't have to design a new car anymore. They still have to pay people. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's an ongoing battle. It does appear like with a lot of things, um, the pandemic has focused minds on a number of ways, that things that should have happened before, and now people have got a reason to do them. And more importantly, people have got a reason to just say, no, we're doing it, which is quite important. Absolutely agree. We'll come back to that and some of your tweets on that at Specutainment. Uh, share Adam in the second half of tonight's show. We've got a big interview for you as well. Tell you all about that in round about ooh, 23 minutes time. But let's look further ahead on RS1. Here's Krillzy with what's on On The Grid tomorrow night. This week on The Grid, the annoyingly talented Molly Taylor joins the show, as well as being the 2016 Australian Rally Champion, a Subaru brand ambassador and a TCR Australia racer. She's also getting behind the microphone for the upcoming coverage of the series when racing returns later this year. Will absolutely put me out of a job, and that's fine. Supercars young gun Angelo Mazuris joins the show to talk about having Jamie Winkup, Craig Lowndes, Garth Tander and Shane Van Gisbergen as teammates, despite only being 18 years of age. And then we dive into the current issues surrounding Supercars TV rights and what it all means for the sport moving forward. Some challenging times, but we break it down for you. It's a slightly more deep and meaningful episode this week. But we were just excited to have real-world motorsport issues to discuss. It's On The Grid, an Antipodean approach to motorsport, 9pm Thursday night, UK time, on RS1. Well, it was another cracking race at the weekend in the digital 
NLS powered by VCO and it's time for our VCO victory lane interviews. I have all three of the winning drivers from Team BMW Bank, the 107 BMW Z4 GT3 came out victorious just about just about. Bruno Spengler, Niels Koch and uh, Kai Kishuba uh, were behind the wheel. Bruno, I'll start with you only by the dint of the fact that you have to qualify and start. My goodness, how competitive was that again at the weekend? Yeah, you're right. That was super competitive, um, especially because uh, in qualifying, for example, I was P8 and I think I was four tenths off the second row or five tenths off second row. Uh, which was just showing how close everything was on such a big track. So, yeah, the, the level was incredible. Um, and then after my stint, um, I think I finished my stint in P5. And then uh, Niels and, and Kai took over and they just did an amazing job being so consistent going through the traffic and mm. just making ground, more and more ground to the top guys. And then at the end, we won the race. So it's it was an incredible one. And a lot of emotions were in there and was super cool. Uh, how, in some ways, frustrating is it when you qualify only four tenths away from being so much further up the grid? And those opening laps are so important, aren't they? Because you've got to keep it clean. Even if we can't see the little bumps and scrapes that the cars are getting in virtual reality, they really affect the performance of the car. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, in iRacing, it's very sensitive, which is good because it makes it real. Uh, if you have a touch at the wrong place or something, the, your car is very can be very quickly off the pace so you have to be very careful in those opening laps which i which i did um and at the end the car was in one piece and we didn't have a touch um and you know it's not just the opening laps through also the whole race because you you catch up some tcr guys with who are also doing their race and they also want to you know win the race or they're also in a fight and they can't just always open the door hugely for you because they're also fighting. So, And the speed delta is huge. So you always have to be very careful of how much risk you take and where you overtake. And uh, it's also sometimes a little bit up to a little bit of luck because if you fall behind a car like that uh, just before a couple of corners where it's impossible to overtake, you lose suddenly five seconds. Yes. Where if you just catch them on the straights, you don't lose anything. So you also got to be a bit lucky. But, um, yeah, it's it's just uh, you have to be careful how much risk you take, really, because um, at the end, you know, if you take too much risk and you're not uh, finishing the race, you don't get anything. So it's super important to keep the car in one piece. Nils, you took over fifth place. Uh, Bruno made up three places in his opening stint. Did you guys have very much time after qualifying to talk about tactics or had you pre-planned what you were going to do wherever you'd qualified? Yeah, most of the stuff is pre-planned. Um, there's there's not much room to play once you commit to a strategy in the first stint. So you you have a few options uh, before the start, but once you you've done like two or three laps, um, there's not much you can do anymore. Uh, so it was pretty much uh, clear that uh, Bruno is doing seven laps. I think uh, I did seven uh, as well, and then it was uh, uh, the rest of the race for Kai. Um, because it just makes sense to do the seven laps for Bruno because of the TCR traffic. And then uh, it was uh, seven laps for me and then the rest for Kai, yeah. So it was pretty much pre-planned. 
there was quite a variety of strategy last weekend, which certainly in the races, we, we, we didn't do the first one, but I went back and, and, and watched it. I've not seen that amount of variety before. Is that a testament, uh, Nils, to just how competitive this this series is getting now, that people are trying to find somewhere to find a tiny little edge? It definitely is. It, but if you only make the same stuff that everyone else is doing, uh, the chance that you, you are going to win this race uh, is, getting, is getting quite low. So uh, you have to think about certain ways to do something different. And there are some, there are some things you can do, some things we, for example, couldn't do because uh, we were three drivers. Uh, the, a good strategy uh, with uh, pitting quite early didn't make sense for us. Um, so we were a bit limited in there. Um, but yeah, you have quite a few options, um, especially um, working around the, the rule set um, where you have to change the tyres every yes. time you put fuel in the car. Um, so there's quite a bit of room to play, yeah. Car, you took over in the, the end stint. Uh, it was by no means all done and dusted, as we say, uh, at that point. You still had a bit of work to do. We'll get to the very end of the race uh, in, a, in a moment or two, but uh, tell us from your, from your perspective, what was, what was going on and, and how did the tactics play out for you? Well, uh, when I when I took over the car, it was clear that our pace on the track is is pretty good. Uh, Niels already did uh, a good stint. Bruno did a very good stint where he made off places. So we have we have seen that we are quick in the race and we are not too far off uh, of the front runners, especially Williams, who were I don't know nine seconds in front of us when Niels came in. So I knew something uh, will be possible, but uh, it was very hard to judge where where the others are on their different strategies, especially Mahle, and also our sister car with, with their fuel-saving strategy. So, yeah, I only knew I, I have to yeah, I have to push. I have to make up the places and not waste time behind anyone. So, yeah, that's what I did. Uh, it, it became obvious to us watching, and I'm sure you were crunching the numbers as well within the team, that we were going to go to 22 or 23 laps in that race and again that just shows the pace it's normally been round about 21 almost stretching into to 22 is that what you guys had planned for or did you have to make a bit of a change in your stint um no actually we we knew beforehand how many laps it will be probably um, of course at the beginning of the race you have to see how the track conditions are how high the temp, uh, track temperature is rising, and then see what the, what the pace is. But uh, yeah, we were confirmed in our plan, let's say, and and yeah, we knew it it will be two laps more than three normal stints, mm. let's say. Uh, and you got it spot on. Not everybody else did. Uh, we did see an eight lap stint, uh, a couple of eight lap stints at the weekend, which I did think was was possible. So a bit of fuel saving going on there how much pressure on you at the end there then kai um we talk about all the time the incident number limit it's only 18 before you get your your first stop and go penalty and that to me around the nordschleifer there'll be people listening to this who can't do one lap without getting 18 incident points in iRacing never mind doing an hour and a bit stint 
Yeah, I mean, we were pretty, pretty clean in this race, I have to say. Uh, I don't know if we had many incidents at all. Um, of course, it is very hard to, to keep it clean, uh, especially on this track, to keep it on track at all. But also with the, with the traffic, with the different classes, uh, each class has its own challenge uh, to, to overtake them efficiently and, and not lose too much time. And there was certainly some risk involved in, in some situations, And yeah, but we came came through clean this time uh, how aware were you of what was going on behind you um yeah i, I was aware i was aware that uh, the williams guys are behind us when when i came out of the pits uh, when i took over the car they were very close um and we constantly checked the gaps and and yeah niels and bruno were informing me about what is happening and that the pace is looking good and tell us about that last run down the Dottigahua and, in fact, the whole of the last lap, it started to get a bit tasty, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I knew that uh, that the other guys have some, have some damage and, um, yeah, I, I knew I will probably be able to catch up and I would have liked to catch up a bit earlier, but traffic was uh, not perfect and I couldn't have a run to the mood cover which would have been risky as well. But, uh, yeah, then it came down to the to the very last straight on that thing I heard. And, um, yeah, I, I was hoping for a bit more straight line advantage than, than it actually was in the end. And then it got pretty close. It got very close indeed. How, how close were you to not getting across the line at the end? There was a little bit of a contact. It's a very... Fast entry up into Tiergarten at the end of the dot Hall, and once you go off there, it's it's rolling the dice whether you, how much damage you've got, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. The, the car was very damaged, so it was. I mean, I, I think both of us, Lauren and, and me, would have never done this um, when it wasn't for the last lap and for the win. That's pretty clear. Uh, he tried to have an advantage by letting me pass uh, before the Dettinger Hall, and. But when, when we approached uh, Tiergarten and, and the Hohen Ryan chicane and nobody yeah, lifted, then it was pretty clear it will be, <laughs> it will be very close. And yeah, we, we touched and, and made contact with the, with the cars and the barrier and both cars were very, very damaged. So it was really lucky that the finish line was only 300 meters away. I said this before, Bruno, uh, after the race. Uh, you nearly handed Audi the victory there. You two. What was it like for you being not in the car? It's it's like the real world, isn't it? There's nothing worse than standing on the pit wall waiting for your teammate to come through and take the chequered flag. And, of course, you would have been watching as we were. What were you thinking at that point? Could you see the incident coming, <laughs> see the accident and the inevitability of it? Uh, I knew it was going to get hot because um, it was for the win. It was the last lap. So I knew it was going to get hot. And just by watching, I was as nervous or even more than if I would be driving myself. Uh, so it was a, yeah, it was a unbelievably challenging situation for Kai. And he managed it super well. You know, it, it's the end of the race. You know, you're tired. You do one and a half stint and at the limit. And on such a difficult track and then you know you have uh, just half a second to take a decision mm. and uh, it's for the win so um yeah just watching is horrible actually you know I, at some points i had to close my eyes but 
at, at the end, at the end, it went well for us. And uh, yeah, like I said, you know, Niels and Kai just did an awesome job and brought the car um, in P1 at the end. So it was it was a great team effort. You know, it's just like real. You know, it's it's a real team team effort on iRacing. Um, everyone has to do his his uh, stint uh, perfectly without many mistakes and, and keeping the car in one piece and having a good pace and so it's uh, it's a great team effort you know we talk to each other during the race everything so um it's it's interesting i like it nils i'd love to know what you were thinking when they were coming up to Tiergarten and the the Hunrai final chicane on that last lap were you holding your breath a bit yeah definitely i i mean watching in general is harder than than driving um but then when it's for the win uh in the last lap and then with the nature of the of the track, knowing that basically the car that's in second place going uh, out on the Dettinger Höhe uh, will have an advantage, um, it was quite tense because you you don't really know what's going to happen. There could be all sorts of stuff going on, mm. and then uh, yeah, watching was quite hard. I think when the crash then happened, I didn't really look anymore. Um, <laughs> I think it. it it got already two tenths uh, on the on the on the straight, so I I, I closed my eyes. Kai, got to ask you. I've I've really been enjoying uh, doing these uh, online events in the virtual world. I, I really like the balance that VCO have got in the DNLS with real world drivers like Bruno uh, and established sim racers. Uh, as well, I, I think that's a nice balance, and I think it shines a spotlight on the on the sim racers who have been doing this for for quite a long time. Gotta ask, did you see what happened in the IndyCar race at the weekend? And and I'll ask all three of you uh, very briefly what your thoughts are on that in terms of 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 what what it does, good or bad, for virtual racing. And Kai, I'll start with you. Yeah, I have seen the, that incident, of course, and um, yeah, it's 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 a tough situation, you know. For us, it is amazing. For the immersing community, it is amazing to have uh, suddenly all the real drivers there, to have the possibility to to race with them, to to even race with them in a team. I mean, it's amazing for us. Um, on the other hand, we are we are trying for years to make it, yeah, to to prove the point that we have really good competition and and really good stuff going on. So. A situation like this always harms us a bit, you know. It's it's a bit sad to see. I mean, nobody. I, I don't know if, if anybody is forced to do this, but um, yeah, this is not a situation you want to see. Crashes happen, of course, but to have it intentional is a bit sad. Uh, Nils, uh, it's in in any respect. We've talked about this before. The competition is real, even if the cars and the tracks are, are virtual. It comes down to bad sportsmanship. It doesn't matter whether you're playing Monopoly or Tiddlywinks or snooker with your friends. It's all down to sportsmanship, surely, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think that there's one one difference why that IndyCar and maybe also the NASCAR series is, is a bit more in a risky situation to to yeah, force some stuff like that where the drivers are always filmed with a face cam and mm-hmm. uh, it's more like it feels like it's more like a show uh, which is understandable to get the media attention and stuff um, but I think for the sport itself the DNLS and also the IMSA series uh, which Bruno is run, running in 
um, is doing it way better to focus on on the actual racing uh, than focus on on getting those media stuff. And I think maybe IndyCar wasn't too unhappy about what was happening because it was good media attention. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point, Bruno. I'll finish with you uh, on on this point. Um, you um, like like the guys in the, the virtual world, they drive for, for teams, they're works drivers, if you will. You're a works driver in the real world and some of the drivers involved in that incident in IndyCar were the same. Surely, whether you go out in the real world or the virtual world, if you if you wear in the BMW Motorsport T-shirt or overalls, um, it, 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 then you represent them. And, and ultimately, that wasn't a good look on Saturday night, was it? I have to be very honest. I just saw some very quick videos about it, and I didn't see the whole history before yes, that, and yes. and all this. So I I can't let's say I can't judge it too much. Um, so I gotta have a good look at it again. But I mean, it also happens so quickly, you know, to crash on sure. a, on on the sim. You know, it can happen very quickly. And like I said, I have to look at more in detail to comment more about it. And uh, but. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at some point, you also have to you have to take it like as a real racing world. You know, you can't just go out there and crash into each other and and then hope for the best. You know, so uh, there is a bit of a there is a bit of a trade off in between, and you have to try. I take it very seriously, generally, because it is very serious. The level is super high on i racing. So um, yeah, I mean, it, at the end, it's uh, everyone's character is a bit different. Um, True, but. Um, yeah, I know that when I'm out there, okay, if if we set up a race and we say, okay, it's just going to be a crash race and we're just going to have fun, then we're going to do it. But uh, on the other hand, if you do a, a proper race and you take it seriously, normally you're a little bit careful and these things are not happening because you take it seriously. And at the end, you want to try and win and you want to try your best. But um, as I said, you know, accidents happen. And uh, this is one of those cases where it just happened and um, each one is a racer. Everyone wants to win. Uh, fights are super close. Um, and um, and the level, you know, the level is unbelievable high on iRacing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's that's how I see it. You know, it's racing, it's competition. Um, and it's and, entertainment uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, there have been a lot of people who were disappointed, like, uh, uh, like we were seeing uh, earlier on. Uh, let's find out what the repercussions are. The... the Let's finish on a positive note with you three and with the DNLS. Uh, great entertainment, great racing. Thanks again, guys. Uh, ready to do it again in, in a, a week or so's time? We'll try. We'll try hard. We'll do the best. Competition is very high. Thank you very much indeed, gentlemen, for joining us on Midweek Motorsport tonight in the VCO uh, Victory Lane interview. You heard there from Bruno Spengler, Niels Koch and... Uh, Kai Kasheba. Thanks, guys. Have a Thanks good week. Thanks for having us. It's always great to talk to you, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And the next uh, round of the uh, digital Nürburgring Langstrecken Serie uh, is a little way away. It's the, 20, uh, the 30th of May uh, for the next round. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's when you can uh, write in pen on your calendar. Yes, thank goodness. Isn't it funny that the virtual things are going in in reality and the real things are just sitting there virtually? Yes. Mm. Uh, later on in the show, we can have a pointless press release of the week. Are we? We haven't had one of those for a while. All right, okay. A uh, couple of quick tweets. Kevin Payne 
Uh, I've just tweeted what's going to be coming on, and he's very excited to hear from our big interview. I'll tell you about that uh, in a moment uh, as well. Uh, this on that IndyCar, right? And we'll talk a bit about that in the second hour, actually, tonight. We'll get Nick back and share, possibly even get Declan in on that as well. Uh, right, Oliver says, to me, there's more damage to IndyCar from what failed to happen after the race in particular. No stewards, no repercussions. Hmm, I know what you mean. It wasn't a good, as I said, it wasn't a good look. But very interesting what the, the sim racers said there. You could hear the disappointment in their voice. Couldn't you? You absolutely could. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, and we'll get Nick back in a little while. Uh, and we've got a whole hour of the show still to come. And that second hour starts right now. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Oh. We've got a. Bursting at the seams, second half of the programme. Shea Adam will be talking eight days a week. It's the new NASCAR calendar, uh, twice a week. And there'll be a matinee as well on a Saturday, apparently. We'll have more of your tweets on Formula One in their bubble. Nick Damon will be back as well as we uh, look back uh, to some score settling for IndyCar. And we'll probably get a bit of Declan on about that. Uh, as well. I'm sure he'll probably want to talk Korean baseball, uh, which is live on ESPN at the moment. But next, it's our big interview. The author of Formula One Car by Car, Peter Hyam, old mate of mine, is next here on Midweek Motorsports. Series 15, episode... Motorsports on RadioLeMond.com On this week's big interview on Midweek Motorsport, I'm delighted to welcome to the show uh, an old work colleague of mine, although I was very, very junior at the time and looked up massively to Peter Hyam, who joins us on the phone now. Peter, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Thank you very much. And just to say that the roles have now been reversed. I'm looking <laughs> up to you. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, now, Peter... A massive motorsport enthusiast. And before we talk about why we've got you on, which is a, a super new book uh, from you about uh, Formula One racing cars, let's go back a little bit into those heady days of us both working for, for Haymarket. Uh, I remember you in a couple of jobs down there, but principally people will understand where we're coming from here if we say that you went in and... Uh, really took over the reins of what was then LAT, which was the, the image gallery that, that Haymark had acquired from the T family some years ago. Um, absolutely. I, I ran what, what was called LAT Photographic um, for 17 years alongside Stephen T, the managing director and, and chief photographer. My, my interest in motor racing go, it goes back to about 1973, watching, watching on television. So to be able to run the world's biggest photographic archive was just, you know, like... Um, boy in a candy store really I remember popping down to see you a couple of times on various errands uh, to, to find something and the amount of treasures you guys kept coming up with was absolutely extraordinary as that as that whole archive was being catalogued and and as I said discovered in some respect you, you would open a, um, a, a box of glass plate negatives from the mid 30s and sometimes you just you know, find a whole lot of sheep or something by the side of a, a rally. Then the next box you opened, you had Tatsuya Nuvolari. You know, it was just, um, just, just amazing. But um, and since since those days, um, 
they've added other collections and they've now got about 23 million um, images. Uh, not not all online, obviously, but they have been digitising and um, it's an amazing resource. Out of that then uh, came the first three of your, uh, what can only be described as uh, groundbreaking uh, reference and entertainment works of Formula One cars of the 60s, 70s and uh, 80s. Um, l- let's talk about that uh, before we come on to the, the new volume, which is the 50s, 1950 to 1959. So what got you started? Where where did the germ of the idea come? Well, the, the idea dates back about back in 15, 20 years when, um, when I was at LAT. The, the basic idea is to take everybody who started a Grand Prix in a particular season and publish an action photograph of him or her um, in that particular car. So, you know, if, if somebody like Fangio in, um, in 54 drove a Maserati 250F and a, a Mercedes-Benz um, 196, um, so there, there is a picture of, of him in each of those cars. So finding it for Fangio, um, finding the images for Fangio is, is you know, relatively easy, but trying to find... Luigi Piotti in a 250F in the Argentinian Grand Prix when nobody from Europe went to Argentina to take pictures because it was too expensive. Mm. Um, that that's that's the joy of of, of this series, really. Uh, and for our younger listeners who perhaps only have experience of what we might call contemporary Formula One, certainly in the last probably two three decades, we always know. Who's going to turn up in terms of teams? Uh, we pretty much, unless somebody gets hurt or poorly, know who is going to be there in terms of drivers, and we know which cars they're going to be driving. Now, that wasn't always the case, was it? It, it, it wasn't. The works teams, you know, the, the factory teams, um, uh, like Lotus or McLaren, they have pretty settled. I'm talking now, you know, in the 80s, um, which is the latest book I had before this one. Um, they had pretty settled driver lineups unless they decided to pass somebody or, as you said, somebody got hurt or whatever. Um, but then alongside that, in, in the, the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, somebody would have an old Formula One car and they would just turn up. I mean, in, the, in the 60s, there was a guy who I believe had an old Lotus. Um, uh, he was an American and he towed the car behind his road car all the way down to Mexico City. Um, don't ask me which year, but to, to enter the Grand Prix, you know, and it was just, you know, people would just turn up. Um, obviously, they'd have to enter, and they then would have to qualify. But you got um, weird and wonderful things, like um, uh, in the 1959, um, uh, 1959 U.S. Grand Prix, um, a guy called Roger Ward, who was a, a leading Indianapolis driver, um, entered a midget, um, which were these small um, small cars, obviously, but only had a couple of gears and was completely unsuited for Formula One. But they entered it, and the American press at the time thought it was going to you know, beat these invading Europeans. And it was, after first practice, he knew he hadn't got a hope. And, um, you know, it finished, but um, way down the field. So, um, you know, lapped many times. But, um, so, hang on, that wasn't even what we would call at that time a homologated uh, Formula One car. So it was almost run what you brung in that respect. Well, I, I think they... they the rules were fairly loose because they wanted some. They wanted some American. I'm guessing they wanted some American um, wow. 
involvement. I've just, I've just looked it up. He didn't finish. He actually, his clutch failed at half distance, it says here. So there you go. So F1, car by car, you've done the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. The early years, 1950 to 1959, when you have that, that kind, those kinds of issues about pit, where do you start? I presume you've got to start with the entry lists and the data that you can find about those individual Grand Prix. There's pretty good um, uh, series of books and, and you know, reference books that, that have all the entry lists and, and who raced and where they came and so on. Um, so I, I started by, um, by doing the results and making sure that you know, everybody who was in that year, I, I knew who I was looking for. And then I, I read um, Autosport uh, magazine and Motorsport magazine, all the Formula One coverage, um, you know, cover to cover from 1950 um, Autosport started in 1950, uh, in, in August. Um, so I just, I, for each year, I'd read through um, the contemporary reports uh, and note down everything, um, you know, little little snippets. So it's it's the news stories that, that are the interesting stuff um, because then you find out when somebody, you know, has decided to, uh, to go to one team rather than the other and there are rumours that so-and-so is going to sign for Ferrari and all those sort of things. I mean, there was one time when uh, Ferrari announced that Mike Hawthorne was racing for them for the next year and Mike Hawthorne knew nothing about it and he ended up racing for Van Wall, I think. So I'd, I'd make notes and go through uh, the contemporary reports and then sit down, decide who I'm going to write about which team and then put together the narrative of, um, of that year. Within that, um, it, this is very much talking about the te- technical side of the cars, um, so, you know, what changed in, in new designs. Um, top level, um, I didn't want this to be too dry. Um, it's about the people, but also about the technology and, you know, when certain, you know, disc brakes came in and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then talk about their years and try and um, get a feeling for what went on and give the, the, the year um, the narrative, if you like. So, so in yeah. all of these tomes, whilst... A lot of people are going to talk about the photographs and the the uh, the work that's gone into getting all the photographs. Mm-hmm. What they're also doing uh, is giving that narrative of you, as you said, of each of the seasons within the decade to which they refer. Absolutely, it, it, um, the photographs of the stars, in, in my view, you know, it's just fantastic to be able to see um, the shape of a Grand Prix car revolve mm. through through the years and. You know the colours and everything else. You know the words are just there to put that, those pictures in context yes. and tell the and tell the story, if you like. How did you decide, Peter, which decade to start on? And did you start the eighties and work backwards, or did you start no, the sixties? We started with the sixties, ended seventies and eighties. Um, very much a decision from um, uh, uh, my publishers, um, Evro Publishing. Uh, so Eric Verden Rowe, the owner, and uh, the editor Mark Hughes, who um, who actually came up with the idea to do this um, as a decade-by-decade decade series. Mm. And uh, the 60s and the 70s, um, we, we felt would be a good introduction to the series. It was always intended that would go back to the first 10 years of the World Championship, which is 1950s, 59. Um, but we wanted to start uh, with the slightly newer um, decades, if you like. So, yeah, so it's really nice to be able to go back to the beginning and uh, the beginning of, of the World Championship, because yes. obviously motor racing happened before then, um, 
and, uh, and and go back to the beginning of the story. I, I had to make sure, though, when I was sort of doing 1959, I'd have to read what I wrote about in 1960 about the same team, just to make sure that, um, because, you know, I think people will collect the series, I'm hoping, and will want to, you know, see when Cooper won in 1959, and then what do they do in 1960? Yes. So to make sure the story... You know, all fits if you like. There's um, a correlation between them and tells the story in a in yeah. a in the correct way. Um, Labour of Love, in some respects. Um, yeah. How how much work goes into this, Peter? So from if we go back to the and, and has it got quote unquote easier as you've done each individual book? So the 1960s one when Husey and and you sat down to talk about this. You know what? How much time did you put aside, and how much time did it actually take you from from concept to oh, here's the book just thud landed landed yeah. on my desk. Um, I, I think because I, I I do other things as well, so it, it isn't solid. Um, uh, one thing I can say is during lockdown, I'm, I'm writing the uh, 1990s, which I'm on at the moment. Excellent. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing that at record pace. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it I think the 60s took me about four months, four to four to six months. I think. Right. Um, you know, but it's not it's not solid, um, it, and you know you, you do a little bit, put aside a half a day, and and, and crack on with it. But um, each one, I've been doing this now for four years, I think, because they, there's one a year basically. Yeah, We've done one a year so far. It sounds like the words come first, then. So you've got to get that backbone. You've got to get, as you said, the narrative, and then comes the painstaking task of finding Dave Miggins from Hartlepool, who raced once in a borrowed such and such in the South African Grand Prix. Um, the, I go for my old employees, LAT, now known as Motorsport Images, have um, done the majority of the pictures. So um, I, I do a first. Uh, a first picture search there um, then we find out where the gaps are and uh, and then it's down to um, the chief archivist at, at Motorsport Images, Cathy Ager then goes through and tries to find anything that's not online and then Mark went out to um, various agencies um, in Argentina and Italy and, wow. and places and uh, and filled in the gaps and I'm absolutely delighted to say that we, we found um, a, a photograph, sometimes not the best um, quality image, no. but um, a photograph of everybody who started a Grand Prix in that era. What was the toughest picture for you to, for, for you to find in, in any of the, the volumes, Peter? Was the one where you went, oh no, we're not going to get this, this is going to be, this is going to be the, because that's the worry, isn't it, as you do that, if there is one missing, then you, you, I mean, th- that's your 100% uh, yeah. record's gone. I think the most difficult were, were the Argentinian Grand Prix in the 50s. Um, and there is an agency over there that um, that eventually came up with with something of everything. Um, so uh, that was difficult. But also, um, for instance, the 1953 German Grand Prix, there was something like 30, um, 34 starters. Um, and some of those were BMW specials that were sort of built in built in a back shed. And um, trying to find some of those was was difficult. But uh, but as I say, um, Mark did a great job just um, sweeping up the, the, the last images. We are both massive motorsport enthusiasts, whether it's Formula One, sports cars or, or anything with wheels and an engine. And yet, when you do a project like this, I'm sure you can't help but come across something that you go, oh my goodness, I did not know that. That is extraordinary. And it becomes your new favourite fact for a little while. What have you turned up like that whilst you've been doing this series of books and, and 
possibly particularly the 1950-59 mum, which is uh, which is out on the 28th of May. One one story, it's not from the 50s, but in the 70s, I particularly liked um, a, a team run by somebody called Peter Conyu. He built this car, the Conyu, which I think um, I think was built in his back garden. Um, it recently has been restored, and I saw him um, talking about it at Race Retro, but I just love the fact that um, anybody could think that having a team and trying to find sponsorship and calling yourselves Con U was any sort of good idea, really. But um, uh, there you go. Are, are you happy with the book? You've seen it now. It's a concept. It's done digitally nowadays, and you'll have written everything, and the photos will have come together. When the physicality of... The thud, as I said before, happens. Um, that's when you get to see it in your hand. Are you happy with with what you've done in the series, in particular to the uh, F1 car by car, fifty to fifty nine? I'm absolutely delighted because when when the first book came out, the 1960s, obviously I hadn't. You you can't quite visualise what it's going to look mm. like, and I I hadn't worked out whether I had a dust jacket or it would was just you know printed on the hard cover. And when I actually opened it and, and you start turning the pages and you go, um, uh, you know, it's the smell of a new book and, um, and just the whole production values that, that Evero put into it is just first class. Um, and uh, so it's absolutely, it's brilliant to see, you know, the idea and actually see it physically. It's, uh, as you say, it's, um, it's uh, you know, a real joy to see it. Uh, and still, I'm delighted to say it, there is a place in the world for printed material, particularly like this. The book is F1 Car by Car. It's the latest in the series. Peter Hyam, uh, 1950-59, to 59, this tome to go with the 60s, 70s, 80s. And as you heard here on Midweek Motorsport, the 90s is being written at record pace at the moment. <laughs> Peter, thanks very much indeed. Will you keep up the good work and pass on my best to Husey uh, and to uh, EVR as well the next time? you see them. It's been too long since I caught up with those two as well. Very good. Well, thanks very much, John, and um, enjoy, enjoy, the, uh, enjoy the summer. Hopefully we'll see some sport. Peter Hyam there talking to... A bit early for that. Uh, Peter Hyam there talking to uh, uh, John, uh, and it brings us nicely on to uh, something for next week's Midweek Motorsport. Uh-huh, does it? Uh, because next week's midweek motorsport, we need a special cake, don't we? Why? With 70 candles on it. Oh, yes, Formula One is 70 years old. Next Wednesday. Of course it's next Wednesday. When When would the, you know, when does anything not important not happen on a Wednesday? Everything happens on a Wednesday. Uh, so, a special midweek motorsport next week uh, to celebrate 70 years of Formula One. And I'm sure that uh, Nick Damon will uh, be... Hang on. 70 years of Formula One, Nick. Hooray and happy birthday. There you go. Uh, maybe uh, instead of a cake for Nick, we'll get him 70 profiteroles. Oh, yes. And, and, and what the and rest the of us going to eat? <laughs> exactly. Uh, my birthday. I need we we the can set eat of, the other 30. I need the set of those books, by the way. Don't we all? Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. Peter, magnificent stuff. And thanks well, for you can buy three of them right now, and then the 90s one when it comes out. 
the fifties one is absolutely remember, brilliant. Yeah, but the thing to remember is they're very versatile books because I, I, I don't forget I spent a lot of Friday getting the correct number of books under your laptop for you to do your hackety thing. Yes, that's very true. That <laughs> is very true. The C, the Ken Breslau's uh, Sebring history was just the perfect size to get my laptop. <laughs> I, I, I really feel I should be using my DSLR um, and a cable to the computer. I think. Mm. Um, I need a, a full-size uh, um, HDMI lead, or, or sorry, a full-size um, uh, lead to a mini lead to go into my computer and try and make that work. If you say so. Yeah. Uh, I was um, a little bit premature pressing this button just now, but we're going to do it. Shall we, shall we do it now? The news that no oh, one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and I believe that Shay Adams joining us as well now. Hello, Shay. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be back. Glad I made it in time. I heard you were... I heard you were taken. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, yeah, I made it. I made it just in the nick of time. Let's put it that way. Okay. I wasn't told where I was going or how long it would take, and the whole time I'm going, yeah, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday because everything, as you just said, important happens on Wednesday, and I was promised that we would be back in time, and it was one minute to spare. Well done. Very yeah. good. Very good. Uh, and we have Cher and Nick together here for the pointless press release of the week, which comes from where, Mr. Gray? Well, you'll find that out when I say what is happening on uh, May 22nd to 24th in Indianapolis. Indy 500? No, it's no. Postponed, isn't it? Postponed. The, the um, Indy 500, or to give it its full name, the Indy 500, or sorry, the Indianapolis 500 powered by Gamebridge and delayed until August 23rd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yes. Due to the global health crisis, uh, is on August 23rd. Uh, no, IndyCar are doing an auction. Oh, are they? Brilliant. <laughs> oh, man. Is the, is the first thing up for grabs uh, Simon Pagano's reputation? Because I think that's worth nothing, isn't it, these days? <laughs> that's, that's being sold with no reserve, I've told you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he said he, said he, he said certainly had no reserve he? on Saturday. <laughs> hey, oh. almost like rehearsed that. That was good. <laughs> so the, the press release is actually quite worthy. Uh, they're going to be doing an auction to raise lots of money for some excellent charities. Uh, but it's just the way it's written that made me laugh because... They have written it as the 104th Indianapolis 500, presented by Gamebridge and postponed until August 23rd due to the global <laughs> health crisis. That is, are they going to have to put that on all of the press releases now and on the graphics and everything? That's fantastic. Uh, there's no question this is going to be a different month of May than we're all used to, said Penske Entertainment Corp president and CEO Mark Miles. However, I can't think of a more appropriate way for motorsport community to come together this month and most especially over the originally scheduled Indy 500 race weekend than to join forces in support of the heroes on the front line of the fight against COVID-19. Isn't it exactly the same, May, as we already always would have in that it has 30 days and it starts 31 days in May, John. 31 31 days and starts at the 1st and ends at the 31st and it goes in between April and June. So it is pretty much exactly the same mayor that we are, always have. just won't have a 500-mile race in uh, Speedway, Indiana. Okay. Uh, 
the first of the uh, auction items has also been announced today. Right. Uh, this is described as the epic racing capital of the world experience. Right. Okay. It includes an opportunity to wave the green flag mm-hmm. on an Indy 500 practice day. Right. Yeah. Take a track lap in a Speedway event car with IMS President J. Douglas Bowles. Right. Not J. Douglas Bowles. The very Gosh. And you get dinner with the Borg Warner Trophy. Yeah, it's not going to be very conversational, that. <laughs> Sorry, we were all... <laughs> three, three minds, one thought. <laughs> yes, that's going to be a bit one-sided, that cover. All those faces staring at you while you eat, though. Very judgmental. They're all saying, are you having a pudding? Do you think you should? <laughs> all those carbs? Really? Mm. It's not, it's not, it's not two weeks before the Indy 500. It's not carb, dear. Ooh. Very good. That's the Friday before. It is Friday. All right, all right. And no one has carb anymore, but hey-ho. It's yeah, exactly. I know that, but, you know, you see where's where I was going with that. It's I, not, is that yep. If they called it Friday Fuel Map Adjustment Day, it's not the same, is it, really? No. The, the big thing that happens on Carb Day, of course, is a pit stop challenge, which yes. amazed me because uh, when I went for the 100th anniversary, I, obviously in the morning there's an um, Indy Lights race. Um, and I thought everyone would just disappear after that. Um, but no, the Pit Stop Challenge is an epic production. And there were 40 or 50,000 people sitting in the grandstands watching it um, and singing along to John Cougar Mellencamp. Jack and Diane? Yes. Excellent. Uh, this is an auction prize that money can't buy. Well, clearly it can, because otherwise they wouldn't be auctioning in it, would there? There'd be little point. Uh, <laughs> unlike additional auction items, which will be available through a bidding process, this prize will be awarded through a sweepstake. Right. So money won't be able to buy it. No, so you have right, to be okay. lucky in the sweepstake. So, okay, right. Yeah, no, I'm no, sure you're buying a ticket, though, aren't you? Yes, but, but it, it's not about the amount of money you put in, unless you buy all the tickets, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a lottery, isn't it? Uh, anyway, point of uh, press yeah. release of the week that was. Uh, but you mentioned uh, Simon Paginot earlier. Yes, uh, the uh, former racing driver. Can I go he, through a couple of tweets on what, you, what you've just talked about? For, uh, for yeah, right turn on. lover said, slightly surprised that IndyCar hasn't named a postponement sponsor, which I like a lot. <laughs> and Jonathan Main on having dinner with the Bogwater Trophy says, it's like a scene from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, having never seen a minute of it, but it made uh, Tim laugh, Jonathan. I've so also seen think... not a minute of it, but um, if uh, it's the way it was written that uh, made, made me laugh. Well, I haven't seen a minute of it either, which means... So how come it's the most... It's the show that everyone's supposedly seen? No, you, I bet yeah, you've watched all of it, no. haven't you? No. I haven't seen an episode. You haven't even seen the rise of Star Wars... Uh, the Skywalker yet, have you? Right. Star Wars. No. Like Me neither. Seven. There were only three Star Wars films. I watched them all in the 80s. Uh, Good man. Oof, oof. I, I really enjoyed it when I watched it the other night. All of it with my Red 5 helmet on. Of course. I thought the colour palette Florida. was a bit yellow. But other than that, it was. Well, you know why. That, I need to watch it again did. with the visor up. It was, it, it was the Coldplay. The Coldplay. Uh, it was all like, yellow. Yeah. 
Uh, will IMS be pointlessly releasing hundreds of used rubber gloves instead of pointless balloons this May at the auction? Very good. Uh, uh, Dave Alcock saying, uh, thanks for the big interview. Uh, Everall Publishing doing some great work. Um, the Le Mans Through the Decade series, well worth acquiring. Kevin Payne, great interview on the phone there with Peter Hyam. And uh, those backstories behind uh, the stories behind the production of the book are pure gold. Can't get my, wait to get my hands on the latest. Glad to hear the lockdown has helped speed up the ninety to ninety nine uh, version. Uh, well, yes, do as we. It's a long time since he released the uh, last volume. He's been doing a couple them about of years. Every, no, about every year. That's what that's what he said there. Was it only last year? Yeah, I think it was last year. The year before. It takes him about a year to Mark Hughes, that, who's Warren Hughes' brother, of course. Uh, Warren Hughes, racing driver. Um, Former you, racing driver? The, the, yeah, he still does bits for Pure McLaren and stuff like that. The original Ginger Ninja, long before. Although he would have said Strawberry Blonde back yeah. in the day. Yeah, he would. He was a, he was a, he was a, have you ever seen a blonde strawberry? Did, no, mm. he was a ginger yes. denier. Right. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, IndyCar, sorry, moving on. Simon Pagino. Uh, yes, he's soon to be former racing driver Simon Pagano. <laughs> well, let's say that neither IndyCar or iRacing have taken any sanctions. There was a lot of of um, chicanery. I'm being very, very diplomatic here. At the end of the race, I was watching it live just before we went live on the uh, the Haggerty video panel thanks to everybody who watched that on friday by the way and we have got the the audio saturday website. Uh, saturday excuse me thank you um and uh santino ferrucci just did what he always does and drove into people being a petulant child because that's what mm-hmm. he is uh and uh, but simon Pagino actually went in and got a quick fix there's your first mistake indycar don't allow people to have quick fix and came out in front of the leaders and deliberately took out Lando Norris, Nick Damon. That was not a good look, as I posited to Bruno Spengler and the guys in the in the <laughs> last hour. Uh, and Shea Adam, whilst neither iRacing or IndyCar have taken any sanction, you know Roger Penske, Shea. Can you imagine that Mr Penske, who is the team owner in real life and in the virtual world of Simon Pagino and is in this is the series owner in real life and in the virtual world as well is is desperately happy having just started a twitter account as well this week <laughs> so that, that he's got so he's got an into the digital world can you imagine Roger Penske being delighted and doing anything else than lighting a fire under um, monsieur pagino uh, no, no. The um, the best video that I watched was actually one of Simon talking to his spotter, mm. where he very clearly says, I'm going to get him. Uh, what were you doing? Lando, what were you doing? I'm going to get him. Pulls into the pits, gets the fix, comes back out, and then pretends like he didn't mean to crash Lando because he was trying to pull back into the pits. And he even says that. He goes, oh, I was trying to come back in the pits. Oh, no, I crashed him. Oh, no. It's a total farce of everything because five minutes earlier he'd been talking about how he was going to go out and crash him. There, he's not winning the Oscar for best adapted screenplay there, is he? Or best performance in a sporting role? (laughs) No, definitely not. There was no supporting uh, there whatsoever, (laughs) not even of teammates. Um, It it really is as the guys said when you were interviewing them earlier about the VLN as compared to IndyCar. 
it's a show and it has become an entertainment value aspect. You and I have both worked for Forza Motorsport. We've both done those competitions, John. And drivers in that category, if something happens to their car and they're damaged and they have to go into the pits, they stay out of everyone else's way because they still want to continue to get points, but they're trying desperately not to affect anyone else's race. In iRacing, and we've talked so many times with Joe Bradley about his precious score and how he can't let you go on a simulator anymore, though, because he doesn't want his score to be dropped. Apparently, the score doesn't matter when you're racing out there with all these people that you normally race against, and you've got that ego factoring in. That's the real issue. Nick, the the problem as I see it is that um, that is being presented as IndyCar with sponsors, on national TV, covered by a national broadcaster in NBC and NBC Sports, as it would be. And it's not being presented as a bit of fun. It's being presented as part of the series. And there's money involved in terms of time and the presentation, etc., etc. I accept that Iris and, and Drew and Steve Myers and all of his team are doing it to help promote themselves, but that's been presented as an official IndyCar uh, product. And we've seen what happened with Bubba Wallace when he rage quit and was sanctioned and uh, and got himself into trouble in real life. Uh, is Pagano going to get away with this? And Kyle well, Larson, of course. Uh, well, I'm, yeah, I think yeah, it's, it, the Watson and Larson thing should at least have, have pre-warned the, uh, the drivers taking part that you know, it's not uh, yeah, when you're doing it on TV with your sponsors and everything else. It's not a game. You have to take it seriously because if you're not, other people will. And, and you are, you know, it's it's a a, a a totally ridiculous thing that absolutely happens all the time on a little server between five blokes in West Ge- sorry, West Germany. I've gone back to the 70s uh, in uh, in Western Europe, you know, and, and, and Derek will take hands out because you know, he just feels aggrieved. But you can't do it in, you know, it's in a, in a proper race stage but then again you know the 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 two things that happen indycar have not done their job on two levels in that they should have actually explained this to the drivers beforehand because drivers are often what's the word for it um uh, bears a little brain, let's say, when it comes to you know managing you know things outside of driving a car. So you go, okay, no, this is what you need to do. This is what we expect from you. This is what you the the event needs, uh, and we don't need that. And they didn't have any stewarding on it. Um, uh, interestingly, um, we are, and by we I mean myself, Joe Bradley, and Ben Constantinus, entering uh, Creventic's 12-hour race, which is taking place in a couple of weeks' time. And I have been handed a um, supplementary regulations, which is as thick as a supplementary regulation you would get for the real Creventic race. Well, the DNLS, powered by v- VCO, it's 10 pages of driver notes. Bruce and I That's talk it. about it all the time. And, and, and I have to read through uh, it all. How many is it this time? It's, it's more than that. It's 19 pages. Brilliant. There's a huge amount about, you know... The etiquette of driving. But yeah, that's what, that's Creventic. How, that's exactly what Crevent I've been in a Creventic drivers meeting. So have you here. And and you know, that's how they look after their real world races. You wouldn't expect them to do anything different. DMSB, the German Motorsport Authority, uh, it's been the, the DNLS are running under their auspices. This is taken very seriously. Listen, there'll be more debate on this tomorrow on the Tour radio show with Ben, Louis and Jordan. That's 8 o'clock. You already know what's on with On the Grid, Krilsey, 
Shebek and the rest of the team at nine. That's another big Thursday night. Get your clap if you're in the UK. Get your clapping in for the the care workers and all the frontliners, and then dash back in uh, to listen to that. Let's have a few tweets. Uh, on a serious note, Dave Alcock says, I don't understand this from Paz. You know, I've watched him race in the American Le Mans series and he's always been a sportsman. This seems very out of character with him. Won't disagree with that. It's very, it is very out of character. It seemed petulant, which is not him uh, at all. Uh, Kevin Payne, antics of IndyCar drivers last Saturday, unacceptable. As right turn lover, the lack of action uh, is saddening. Uh, and uh, this is fabulous. Sam Pagno's script and delivery after the incident will probably get him a starring role in the next Michael Bear movie. I've seen and heard worse in one of his productions. Uh, <laughs> and moving away from that, S, who is Grumpy Cyclist 72, uh, with a very lovely... Is that a Cobra that you've got in the garage there with the BRD C sticker on it. That is very nice. Just uncover in the garage. It's just to that's uh, your Listening down in the shed. I'm running out of things to tinker with. I may have a beer and pot out some leaks. Smart man. Hey. Another 25 minutes to go. Bit of potting and a beer. Great stuff. At uh, at Specutainment, if you want to get in touch with us. Where to next, Tim Gray? It's definitely the right time of year to be potting out your leaks. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and also parsnips, if you've uh, got those. Uh, He's been putting out some uh, beetroot. Uh, uh, artichokes are already in. Very good. Uh, well, we'll move not far from uh, IndyCar, okay. uh, because we're going to stay with Andretti. Uh, but this time the Walkinshaw version of Andretti in V8 Supercar because uh, Lando Norris uh, was also taking part in their races this week. Lando Norris has become the AF Corsa of sim racing. If Lando Norris isn't in your event, it's not it's not really happening, is it? it he's every, I don't think they're all him. I don't think they're all him. So especially if he fails to join, I'll get stuck in the uh, the waiting room. That that is also appears to be Lando for F1 at least. Anyway, yes, I think that's because he doesn't actually really want to race on the F1. Oh, stop it! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's cloned himself, and there are several. He's that, quite small. He just, he just doesn't sleep, John. I mean, it, it's kind of funny that I listened to a podcast with him a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about how his ideal day is to wake up at 7 a.m., play on the gaming until about 2 in the afternoon, eat some lunch, keep Dresses playing on the banana. gaming until... No, yep. that was looking <laughs> No, 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 that's Oh, that's right. Um, he has some dinner around 9 p.m., continues gaming, and then maybe goes to sleep at around 4 a.m. Like, he is a college student in the U.S. That's that's what Lando Norris is. Sounds like Maggie Thatcher. She's only three hours sleep, isn't she? Baroness Thatcher, he, he's not, uh, not anywhere near tall enough to be a banana. True. Maybe just a small aubergine. Don't. Smaller. Okay. Smaller than a rabbit. Uh, anyway, so hey. so what's he? He's, so he's going to be in the no, um, BP Ultra they, Supercars. They, they they have midweek races, so that happened. I didn't see it today. I was busy working this morning. Do you want me to tell you where we finished? No, I don't. I don't. I really don't because I will watch it on on YouTube tomorrow whilst I'm working in the studio on some so projects. So if you don't want to hear the results, look, look away, away now. now. Hang on, I'll turn you down. Third, nineteenth, okay, and tenth. I 10th. literally can't hear Tim now. And you're safe to come back now. I'll go back now. Yes. Okay. You're safe to do that. I couldn't hear Tim either. Well, that's fine. I haven't spoiled it for you either. Thank you. I appreciate that. See, I was thinking of you too. I bet you've not seen it either, Shea, have you? No, I haven't, because I was kidnapped so early this morning. Mm. <laughs> 
I'd be really worried if I was kidnapped in Utah. Just one of those things, you know. Mm. We hear things, we see those reality programs. Suddenly, you've got you know, you're the fourth wife along. I went ah, to but Salt who Lake says City. I was in Utah? Yes, went to Salt Lake City a couple of months, a couple of years ago, and uh, it is a very strange place. Mm. I like, I like Utah. I really like you too. And of course, the it's got a are great. Oh, I love that. And by the way, just to prove that we are live, Lando Norris is streaming now. That, that yeah, but that doesn't really live. help. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. Is it, is it not a Belarusian league game we can quote? Is the only football still going on? Korean baseball. There's Korean baseball on ESPN right now. Be, that can't be because it's like four in the morning there. They were They're doing playing co- it uh, for an American audience. That's it's as live. No, no, no. No. It's, they're playing it for an American audience. What, they're playing at four in the morning? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's the Lotte Giants uh, that are playing, uh, I think, tonight. Hang on. Let's, I, uh, there's, there's, at the moment, uh, the Kia Tigers and the Key Womb Heroes are... Uh, are they still playing? That might be a result there. Uh, that was 3-2 uh, to the Key Womb Heroes. Kitty, Wiz, Suwon and Lotte Giants, LG Twins and Doosan Bears. And this is league play. These are, these are all happening. Yes. Uh, let's uh, move on. Okay. Uh, now, if you were listening to last week's Midweek Motorsport, you've heard uh, Declan Brennan uh, say how proud he was to be presenting the first non-motorsport show on uh, the RSL network. Yes, coming in a week uh, or so. Unfortunately, it now looks like it might not be. Oh, Really? the first non-motorsport show because no. next Saturday we have mm-hmm. another non-motorsport show don't a we week, Nick Day? a week on Saturday we do and yeah. I don't know if anyone can cast their mind back pre-pandemic when things were just beginning to go a bit you're going to love this shit tong. things were going a bit peak tong and we talked about it and there was a, 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 about a selection of um, tweets about whether or not we would do the thing we've been promising to do for many years and that's you know, cover the Eurovision Song Contest, and but believing that it would take place in Amsterdam, but we sorry Rotterdam, Rotterdam. but we had nothing to do. Rotterdam so I said, yeah, if every, so I said, ha ha ha, if everything's cancelled, of course we'll cover it on a tweet, and everything was cancelled, and the Eurovision as well. So we're doing our own Eurovision. We're, we we are bringing back the 2020 Eurovision that will never happen for real, but it's going to happen now on RSL. Well, not now, in ten days' no. time. Yeah, well, no. so not this Saturday, but next Saturday night, UK time. What time are we going to kick it off, Tim? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock UK. Yep. Right, next Saturday night. There's no Saturday night racing. No. No. There's not so, even a DNLS earlier in the day. No, no, it's a free they, day, so get yourself ready. deliberately not held a race so that we can prepare for this properly. Yeah, we're going to prepare for it properly, and um, the, the public... The listener has a part to play here, Tim, don't they? Yes, because obviously voting is done by the national juries. More about them probably on, on the night. On the night, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, will, we will have some national juries uh, voting. Uh, but also there's a listener vote as well. And uh, you'll be able to do that uh, on the website from just after next week's Midweek Motorsport. Okay, is that now, what you're going to put just, just in case you're worried, obviously there were 41, 41 songs in yeah. There have already been the semi-finals. semi-finals and some some automatic qualifiers, and we have, as a team, whittled it down to what we believe is the best twenty. Oh, nobody said it would have to be the best twenty. <laughs> We've whittled it down to a twenty. Yes, yeah. and we are now we are now going to decide 
the order in which they will take place. What, now? Now, now. Oh, really? Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Not next week? Not next week, right now. And how are we going to okay. do that, Tim? Uh, I have all the equipment set up in front of me. It's exciting, isn't it? Random, random number generator. And I'm going to click this button here. Yeah. And the first... Please tell me it makes a noise. It doesn't make a noise. Oh. Or not one that my microphone's going to pick up. Okay. The first <laughs> uh, song we're going to hear on the night is entry number eight, which is going to be Ireland. Right. Ireland will be first up. Oh, they haven't well, done this for... Uh, it's normally done in alphabetical order. And then there was there has been times in the past, back in the 70s, that drew for it. 1974, I think, was the last time that there was a draw for it for a very long time. And then they went back to it. But um, I, I think they do it in alphabetical order. No, yeah, we, we've no, got 20 of these to get through, John. Let's okay. move on. Right. Uh, next, it's number 13. That is Austria. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Hang on. Uh, By the way, there will be links to all these songs uh, on the, yes. the thread for the show. For the show Ireland is the play. story of my life by Leslie uh, Roy, and Austria is Alive by Vincent Bueno. Third will be Azerbaijan. Cleopatra, sung by Samira <laughs> Effendi. One of your favourites, John, I know. <laughs> uh, Best use of automobiles in the, any of the videos. In the video. Yeah. Uh, then it is uh, Albania. Al- together here, aren't they? Albania is Fall from the Sky by Arilena Ara. It's like election Next night. I love one. this. <laughs> it yeah. is uh, Serbia. Serbia. Serbia is uh, Hasta la Vista by Hurricane. <laughs> And then we have Poland. Uh, the Polish entry this year is Empires by Alicia Sempelniska. Uh, the, how many is that? That's seven, is it, or six? That's six. So number seven, mm-hmm. or the seventh one, will be song number 11, which is Denmark. Uh, Denmark uh, is... Uh, I, was, I want to say Dan and Shea. No, Ben and Tan. And <laughs> yes. Uh, then Lithuania. Oh, Lithuania. Right. The Roop on fire. Oh, well done. Nick, I, like, I quite like that one. that one. Yeah, I quite like that uh, one. Then we have Georgia. Uh, jo- Georgia is uh, Tomike Kipiani, Take Me As I Am. Should be Ray Charles, really. <laughs> Not that, that George. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not on his mind, frankly. No. Next one. I'm just making this easier. Uh, next is Sweden. Uh, Sweden. Sverige. Uh, uh, that is the Mamas and Move. Then San Marino. Sam, how does San Marino. Oh, the cost of the R, I suppose, in Europe. Uh, San Marino is freaky, exclamation mark, by Senhit. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next. Hang on. Netherlands is next. Netherlands, who have qualified oh, by uh, dent of being the host country, and that's Django, Macroy, and Gro. And then the United Kingdom. The United the Kingdom. Royaume Uni. <laughs> United Kingdom is James <laughs> Newman. James Newman and my last breath. Russia. Russia, which uh, is the fabulous band Little Big and Uno, 
And my that, that is my overall favourite. I'm going to tell and you that the, now. And one of the two bookies' favourite prior to the event being cancelled. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Right. Italy. Italy. Fifteenth song. It is Fire Rumore by Diodato. Cyprus. Oh, Cyprus. 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 <laughs> this is Sandro Nicolas uh, with Running. As you do. Australia. Australia, they were one of the pre-qualifiers as well. That's Montagne and Don't Break Me. Wait a minute, they're not in Europe. They're part of the European Broadcast Union. Don't, 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 let it go, Shay. (laughs) We've been saying this for years. Geographical anomalies all around this. Keep going. Azerbaijan's not in Europe. Israel's not in Europe. Keep going. (laughs) Israel hasn't actually qualified. All right, okay. (laughs) It's uh, not an issue. Uh Uh, Next is Russia. Oh, no, we just did no, Russia. Russia. Uh, Iceland. Iceland. Ah, yes. Other this is another another bookie's favourites. This is Daddy at Gaga Magania, and think about things. Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is way further down. Solovi and Go Air. And finally, Germany. And the German entry uh, this year is <laughs> uh, Violent ben Thing Dulwich. by Ben Dulwich. So those are your 20 songs and the order in which they will be performed at not the Ahoy Arena Rotterdam. Rotterdam's not Rotterdam Amsterdam, um, by the way. Uh, and uh, that is a week on Saturday. So I'll be presenting the show Nick and Tim will be helping me. Nick is our Eurovision expert, but there will also be two of the national juries. Uh, uh, Shay, you're going to be a national jury as well, aren't you? When is this? Next Saturday. A week on Saturday. Um, I will find out how my internet is a week from Saturday. Excellent. You can you can email your results and it's fine. <laughs> if I have email. You've 11 minutes. You can do it on the phone if you have a phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. please. Oh, absolutely. Hello, the other George from the. F- this is the verdict for the Florida judge on the phone. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, a week on Saturday. Uh, it's uh, billed as Nick's European Cultural Spectacular or something like that. Is that because we can't call it not the Eurovision Song Contest? Even though it is not the Eurovision Song Contest, definitely not the Eurovision Song not. Contest. Eurovision not. Song Contest-ish. Can we not call it? Like it's DTM-ish. a contest involving songs which were in Eurovision, but it hasn't happened. Let's move back to Andretti news. Okay. Okay. Uh, because they and Chip Ganassi Racing are both going to take part in the Extreme E series. Is that still happening? You asked the same question last week, and I said yes. <laughs> well, no, that's, <laughs> it's a week later. For... So much can change. Got so, a point there. Indeed, yes. Um, I don't think any motorsport events have been cancelled in the last seven days. None have happened either, though. There have been two Nordic Rallycross events that have been postponed, but I don't think anything has been actually cancelled. Um, Chip Ganassi said, Extreme is a very different proposition to anything we've done before, uh, but it's where I think we're headed in the future. Mm. Um and there's no quote from any of the Andrettis, sadly. Kevin Payne. Sorry, Dave Alcock says, which events have the real Lando Norris been involved in and which are replicated versions, as in Westworld hosts? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just got 
a standard piece of video that goes out, which looks like him driving somewhere. And, you know, it's not like you can see over his shoulder onto the screen. So it could be anybody driving the car, couldn't it? So you're saying basically he's franchising himself? Yes, absolutely. He's franchising I'm, his entries. I'm the Australian Lando Norris. I'm Lando Norris to the Far East. I'm, I'm, I've got the Lando Norris franchise for seven counties in uh, you know, New York State. Mm. Uh, Classic TT was cancelled this week, the responsible adult says. Ah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Right Turn Lover says, I hope Iceland's in the 20. It is. It uh, oh, they, apparently they won the Austrian TV's Little Eurovision a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, that's one of the favourites, I think. Although it's not in the English language. That doesn't matter. No, I know that, but it's it's often difficult. A loss of this programme will not be in the English language. We. Et maintenant le résultat du jury belge. You're really looking forward to that, aren't you? Yes, I've got to do that. In it, so I can't say that. I've got to do that. Did I not pick Belgium? Oh no, they didn't make it. You had a complete vault fast, didn't you? I did. I for did, a very good reason, fun. though. Well, because the song wasn't very good. It was awful. I had a real problem, and I did it. I was very, very, um, you know, I did this very properly, and I listened to all the songs several times. Yeah, me too. And then at the end of it, I ended up liking virtually all of them because I got because you get all, used to them. Familiar with them. That's there was why... only one that was dreadful of the eleven I had, so Paris. I had to try and pick five out of ten, which I quite liked. <laughs> Uh, Release Me by Hoover Phonic was the Belgian entry, and it was one of three Bond-esque ballads that it, I had. It was very Bond-esque. It, yeah. it was the one that Chris Cornell did. Anyway, shall we move on? And we've got uh, nine minutes left to go. Yes, uh, Carl Larson. Let's go back to NASCAR. Yeah, um, well, sort of NASCAR. I presume you're going to talk about World of Outlaws, aren't you? I'm going to talk about his sensitivity training, which has now been completed. Yes, he can feel everything through his fingers. He's now sensitive. Um, yes. And, you know, basically, it's, it, 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 you know, the, the point about it is, is that, it doesn't, well, is it going to do any good? Because he, he's now, the, the toxicity attached to him is, is going to circumnavigate, or circumvent, sorry, his, uh, his, his talent, because people just aren't going to want to touch him, because, you know, it's sponsorship, isn't it? I realise that apparently, his dirt, apparently with his dirt career, none of his sponsors have dropped him, but obviously his NASCAR career, they've all dropped him. This weekend, in fact on Friday night, he'll be taking part in the NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series at Knoxville Raceway. In virtual reality. Now, will he be, though? He's been invited and the organisers have said he's OK to race, but has he said he's going to do it? And, and I, I'm asking that genuinely. That's a good question. He's not. Hmm. I, I, I'd seen all of that, and they were using it, if you will, shares as a selling point for that event. But I've not well, yeah. seen anything from Kyle himself to say that he's he's coming out of of hiding. Uh, I'll tell were. you who is going to be racing in this. Who? Casey Lando Kane. Norris. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lando Norris, obviously. Casey yeah, Kane dressed as Lando Norris. Casey Kane, um, who retired uh, two years ago. Did he? Uh, I yes. didn't know. Um, is uh, is going to be uh, taking part in mm. this, um, which is a pay per view event. You will not, yeah. yeah. You have to pay to watch this World of Outlaws race. Sure. And and that's sort of an interesting point that you bring up, John. With is Kyle Larson actually going to be racing in it? Because of course, all the buzz around it is we've invited him to come race in this yes. event. So come pay forty dollars to see the race and then find out if he's in it. Mm. Which that's an interesting sales tactic. Uh, and whilst we're talking about Kyle Larson, of course, he's been replaced 
um, and we didn't get to speak to you last week, he has been replaced if and when NASCAR restarts again, of which more in a moment. And they've replaced him with someone coming out of retirement. They have. Um, it's interesting to see that Kurt Busch is going to be teaming up with Matt Kenseth, who's somebody who's a former series champion. He's got so much experience, but as you rightly say, had stepped away from the sport 39 times a winner in NASCAR, including the Daytona 500. Kenseth is a guy who was at his peak at the beginning of the 2000s and then sort of filtered off a little bit. But he's someone that Chip really likes. So it's a fairly good fit to see them coming together once again to fill the seat. It's definitely an interesting choice, though, because there's so many young guns, so many people who are there or thereabouts who are chomping at the bit to get their opportunity. So for Chip Ganassi, a guy who usually gives the youngsters their opportunity, i.e. Kyle Larson, it's interesting to see him not doing that and going with someone tried, true, and trusted who, yeah, he'll probably get some top tens, top fives, but he's not really someone that you think about going up against a Kyle Busch, a Kevin Harvick for the championship. Do you not think, though, that the circumstances dictate that they need a safe pair of hands, given why he's in the car in the first place? I do, but I also am surprised that a man like Chip Ganassi didn't look at the Xfinity series and see some of the young people down there with their heads screwed on straight who would love the opportunity to drive full-time instead of a partial season. Yeah, but he had to keep the sponsors, didn't he? He had to do something to keep the sponsors. And and I think that was a smart, smart move. And I said if and when. Well, NASCAR have have released a calendar, and Tim loves a good calendar. And I particularly love one, which starts in Darlington, because I've been to Darlington. And there used to be a really (laughs) nice Italian restaurant, but it's closed now. Ooh. Well, as most I prefer nice Stockton restaurants on, are right now. I, I prefer Stockton on Tees just down but the road. But the slogan's wrong now because they used to say if it's happening, it's happening in Stockton and NASCAR is definitely not happening in Stockton. No, true. It's also mm. not happening well, in the Darlington where the Italian restaurant was. It's a different Darlington, apparently. Mm, apparently <laughs> so. However, it's uh, every day of the week and twice on Sundays for, for NASCAR year. It's it's busy. Um, they've eliminated practice and qualifying for all the events except for the big race, which is the um, Coca-Cola 600, which will be Memorial Day weekend. So we do still get some racing on Memorial Day. Thank the heavens. So that won't be the weirdest day ever. Um, but Sunday, May 17th, so the day after all of our Eurovision fun happens, or non-Eurovision fun, um, Darlington Cup Series race, 400 miles in the afternoon. Tuesday, May 19th, so two days later, Xfinity race, 200 miles at night. Wednesday, the day after, Cup Series, 500-kilometer race at night at Darlington. So that's three races at Darlington in the span of four days. The interesting thing there, Darlington is all within driving distance to Charlotte. So all the guys can sleep in their own bed. Nobody needs to travel ahead of time. And everybody will be required to obey the social distancing rules and principles and uh, safety orders that we've enacted so far. Uh, Masks will be worn. Pardon? Have you seen the penalties that they've announced for that? If you you don't obey. If you are found in breach of the infield... COVID-19 event protocol during a uh, Cup Series event you could be fined up to $50,000 
during an Xfinity event, $25,000, and during a Truck Series event, $12,500. That's not very nice, so they don't care as much about their truck drivers. It's, they just haven't okay. got as much, as much money. Also, well, yeah. you'll um, only be allowed so... into the infield if you've completed an exam about the spread of COVID-19. <laughs> right. Okay. What? The... The other thing that I saw that was interesting in regards to that before we get back to the calendar news was the fact that all masks have to be submitted to NASCAR ahead of time if they have sponsor logos on them because they want to approve the new uniforms. Oh, excellent. So you've got to put your mask through uh, pre-race tech. Yes, you do. That's fantastic. And and they want to make sure that your sponsor logos are in the optimum placement. And yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, So we go from Darlington on Wednesday, May 20th, to Charlotte, Sunday on the 24th, where the Cup Series is racing at 6 o'clock at night. Monday, Xfinity is racing for 300 miles, so the 600 one is the big race. That's Memorial Day. Next day, Xfinity Series, 300 miles at night. Next day, Truck Series, 200 miles at night. Next day, 500-kilometer race at night. So they've factored in kilometers to try and be able to keep some of these nice, beautiful, round numbers numbers that NASCARs like so much. But it is interesting that they've packed in seven races in the span of 10 days, and all of it is within driving distance of the shops. Yeah, uh, uh, which kind of makes sense. It's all still provisional, of course, at the moment, because it will depend on A, the situation with the pandemic, and B teams being involved uh see the weather i was getting uh, to that all going to be broadcast on television though share so it, it is yep. literally all nascar all week and it's fox or fs1 if you're here in the states uh fox for the big series fs1 for some of the other races it's interesting that they didn't just put everything on the big network which is what a lot of people have been saying sports should do. Um, but the governor of North Carolina actually said, John, that the NASCAR employees could return working to their shops because with the races coming in, they are now considered uh, critical, important employees. So they are allowed to resume work when a lot of other people are not extended the same offering. Uh, there's a talking point for next week's show. And that, I think, Tim, is just about all we've got time for. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you very much to Shea, to Nick Dearman uh, and to our guests on the VCO uh, Victory Lane interview, Bruno Sprenger, Nils Koch and uh, also uh, Kai Kashuba. Peter Hyam was on the phone as our big interview. The uh, responsible adult was Eve Hewitt and of course our executive producer up in London was Tim Gray. Uh, we've got nothing going on this weekend so we'll see you back next week at eight o'clock and you know we'll be doing it all again and finding some more people to talk to in the meantime stay home stay safe and uh, there's no time to explain because the llama is in the creventic pub quiz on friday night bye-bye this program is a radio show limited production tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com